0: Hi, this is Dave Durer, and today we will be reading together in Genesis, chapter 39. And then at the conclusion of that, I plan on sharing just a couple of observations about this very interesting and exciting uh, chapter. So let's start with Genesis 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served the home of the Egyptian master. Uh, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except maybe what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come and fool around with me, she said, but when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. You know, this passage has all the drama of an award winning movie. The scene opens with Joseph having moved from his awful treatment by his brothers to serving the captain of Pharaoh's guard in Egypt. You know, that's quite a jump. Potiphar had power and influence as the head of Pharaoh's armed forces. Therefore, joseph by extension as his servant also had influence and power you know joseph eventually was put in charge of all of potiphar's business dealings and his entire household he's implicitly respected and trusted and runs everything he's kind of like a ceo over potiphar's entire affairs I'd like to make two observations of this chapter, along with some practical applications for each of us. And the first observation is this. We see Joseph using his God-given abilities and the influence and power given to him to be a blessing to those around him in a secular world where he was living. Interestingly, doesn't this run contrary to the way we often tend to think? For example, in the church world, we can drift into thinking that God uses men and women to gr- do great things for the kingdom, but only in the church, and that the spiritual giants are those who are pastors and leaders and missionaries sent out great distances by the church. Yet, uh, as an aside here, what I love about the vision and mission of Watermark is that we are all called to be missionaries. We are all sent out, in other words, sent ones, into the world in which we live, where we work and go to school. We are all spiritual giants in the kingdom when we are serving the king right where he has placed us. In today's reading, we see how Joseph served God by offering his absolute best, his character, and abilities right where he was at. And without compromise, Joseph had influence and power by extension from Potiphar. And Potiphar and his household were blessed by God by extension through Joseph's faithfulness as he served God as a sent one. We, too, can release God's blessing to the people in our lives through the power and influence we have been given by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. The second observation I'd like to make here is how Joseph responded to temptation, in this case, sexual temptation. Despite repeated efforts made by Potiphar's wife to seduce him, Joseph resisted, and he continued to resist with conviction, to the point where he turned and ran in that final scene. In the world and culture we live in today, we see that power and influence does just the opposite. It leads to sexual indiscretion, entitlement, and compromise. This was not true of Joseph. Why? I believe Joseph made his mind up long before this challenge and temptation. He was confronted with uh, something that was uh, taking place, and he had already made up his mind how he was going to respond to it. Obviously, his mind had already been made up regarding his response. And when confronted by Potiphar's wife, he didn't have to step back process his thoughts and his desires, he didn't have to weigh what might be right or wrong in this situation, or allow his mind to start justifying what he deserved or thought he should be entitled to. No, he ran, literally leaving his coat behind. His reaction was swift. It was swift and sure, because he had made the decision long before he found himself In this situation, a good friend of mine, a psychologist, told me about an acronym that he finds very helpful in speaking to others. It's called SUDS. S U D S. SUDS. He said that succumbing to temptation is most often the culmination of people making seemingly unimportant decisions. That's SUDS, seemingly unimportant unimportant decisions that lead us to the very edge, with the next step being the sinful action itself. Basically, it's the series of these seemingly unimportant decisions that lead us directly into moral failure. These small decisions, which, which really seem so unimportant and insignificant on their own, end up taking us out because together, in a series, they lead us to places we really know we shouldn't go and often do not want to go. Joseph had already made up his mind. He already made a decision that he would not allow himself to make these seemingly unimportant decisions that would take him down a road that led to destruction. His mind was made up. For Joseph, the answer to temptation was not to love the things of this world less, but rather to love God more. Joseph not only had strong God-honoring character, but most importantly, his identity was based on his love of God and and God's love for him. That's where his obedience naturally flowed from. So what can we all learn from the life of Joseph, as recorded here in Genesis 39? The observations I've made and discussed today have helped me see with more clarity the two sides of what we as followers of Jesus are faced with. On one side, recognizing that the King of Kings has called, equipped, and empowered me to be salt and light in this world— To love and obey His commands as a sent one, as a missionary, uh, right here where I live, work, and play, uh, is something I need to be aware of. On the other side, I am made aware of the fact that the enemy is all about seeking to interfere, confuse, distract, divide, and destroy what God desires to do in and through me. This is not just about sexual temptation, but all temptation to sin. So, how about you? How might God be speaking to you through the life of Joseph, as recorded in this chapter? What action step would be appropriate for you in response? Let's pray. Lord God, today we're thankful for the life and example of Joseph. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you've called each of us to live a dynamic life as workers in your kingdom. We can do so only in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're thankful for the the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us fresh and anew today with your spirit to live focused and fruitful lives right where you've positioned each of us for your kingdom purposes. Continue, Lord, to give us strength and resolve to resist the enemy. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Have a great day.